please pray with me. Lord, you have said that those who worship you must worship you in spirit and in truth. And that's what we ask for today, Father. Your spirit and your truth to be in my mouth, to be in all of our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You know, sometimes, and especially in a liturgical church, you can just go through the motions and just kind of gloss over stuff, and you don't really think about it. But did you listen to the uh, the lectionary readings this morning, the scripture readings? Did you find it a little bit jarring? You know, sometimes I look at these things, and I appreciate that this is spiritually wise people over generations that put together these lists of readings, but I'll scratch my head and go, what were they thinking? Because you have Jesus who is so notorious for an exacting, demanding a level of, of morality that exceeded the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Talking about grace. And Paul, the apostle of grace, seemingly talking about works. So what gives? And why would the... The, the church fathers in their wisdom have put these readings together all in one Sunday. After all, aren't we really saved by grace? So why is Paul telling us about stuff we've got to do and stop doing if we're saved by grace? What's he thinking? Aren't we saved just by believing and not by what we do? Isn't the only thing we have to do is just kind of say this little prayer, just one and done, and we're good? So what's going on here? Which is it? Do we really have to do stuff, or do we not have to do stuff? Why does it matter? Don't we only have to believe stuff? Is that my mic? No. Or is it? No? Okay. Isn't it saved by grace through faith? Yeah, sure, here it is. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So there, that proves it, right? It's not about what we do, right? Oh, wait a minute. There's one more verse here. It's verse 10. Maybe I should read that one too. For we're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Drat. which God prepared in advance for us to do. Huh. Oh, and, and wait, wait, let me think for a minute. 
That's from the book of Ephesians, right? Ephesians, the second chapter. And where was our reading today from? Anybody? Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Same God, same Holy Spirit, same human writer, same letter sent to the same church. And there, right near the end of chapter 4, it says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up, building of others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every other, every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So did Scripture, did Paul get confused? Is it grace? Is it what we believe? Or is it what we do? And as I said in our gospel reading, Jesus talks about believing. John 6:40, "For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day." So Jesus said that it's all about believing, right? But Jesus also said some other things too, didn't he? In that same Gospel of John, he says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And in the Gospel of Luke, we read that he said, in Luke uh, 6.46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So which is it? Is it believing that matters? Or is it doing? Confused? Well, please don't be. I think for many generations we have separated as though they were two opposite ends, things that God never intended to be separated. You see, there are two parallels that I see through the Gospels and really through all of Scripture. Two parallel calls that have come down to us through the ages. They're not meant to be different. They're meant to be complementary, really two sides of that one and same coin. It's the call to believe. And it's the call to follow. How many times in the Scriptures and the Gospels do you hear Jesus asking people to believe? A lot. How many times do you hear Him asking people to follow? A lot. And there's at least one concept where these two ideas intersect. It's this. How can we really follow until we've believed? 
But how can we say that we believe and not choose to follow? Maybe this illustration can help. Imagine with me that you're at a military base, an army base. And you're in an office at that military base. And in front of you are two desks, two corporals. A phone, a computer, stacks of paper on each desk. And the phone rings and one of the corporals picks up the phone. And on through the other end of the phone you hear some orders being given. And the corporal says, I am not going to disturb the colonel and hangs up the phone. And one corporal looks at the other one and said, well, who is that? He said, I don't know, some guy who says he's a general. Remember what I said. We see two great calls in the gospel. The call to believe. The call to follow. The corporal didn't follow. Because he didn't believe. How much worse to have said, yeah, it was the general I hung up on him. But is it possible that sometimes that's what we do with our Lord? Think about what Jesus said in that verse, Luke 46. Luke 6:46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. If we really believe that Jesus is exactly whom He says He is, the Son of God, the Alpha, the Omega, the coming judge of the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, how can we not do what He asks us to do if we really believe those things? Think with me about the Great Commission, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus never told us to make converts. He told us to make disciples. And there's a difference. There's a difference of depth. There's a difference of commitment. There's a difference of life. And a vast gulf between the two. What does the word disciple mean to you? I fear that in English, in contemporary usage, more and more it's not a very rigorous word. It's not a very demanding word. It's kind of a blasé word. In contrast, a couple years ago, I remember reading an article by a a young woman, probably a college student. It was her testimony in, in that she said that Jesus was her guru. My first reaction is like, whoa! What? I was offended. Because the word guru is so associated, and rightfully so, with, with paganism and meditation and all this stuff. But I thought about it some more. Just what relationship does a guru have with his followers? A guru is a teacher highly honored by his followers. And they hang on his every word and they talk about it and discuss it with him and with each other. And they think about how he tells them to think about life. 
how they're supposed to interact and how they're supposed to live and what they're supposed to eat and what they're supposed to do. They hang on His every word. So I get it. It portrays a very robust commitment to put into practice the lifestyle of their teacher, their guru. No, I don't think I'm ever going to use the term. It's still too pagan for me. But I get it. We used to mean that when we said Jesus is Lord, but I'm afraid that doesn't have much meaning anymore either. Look at how Jesus Himself fleshed out the meaning of disciple in the Great Commission, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The English word disciple used to be related to the word discipline. It still is, but we don't perceive it that way. Okay. Now, some will ask, and, and understandably so, does this mean now that I've got to be absolutely perfect, sinless, perfection, flawless, never make a mistake? No. No, grace is still grace. It remains God's gift. Grace is always and forever something that we ourselves cannot earn, something that we ourselves cannot even initiate, but only respond to. But think with me again for a moment about what Paul writes in the the reading we read today from Ephesians 4. This time I'm going to read it from the New Living. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all part of the same body. And don't sin by letting your anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for hard, good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now think about it for a moment. How could a church or really any human organization function if its members are lying to one another, stealing from one another? Getting angry and, and, and rageful towards one another. How, how could people in that kind of organization trust each other? So anyone want to join that kind of church? How can anyone say they believe in Jesus? Believe in what He taught and do those things? Please note that Paul was telling them to stop doing those things. What's the implication? That's what was happening in that church. The people were doing all those things. So guys, 
Yeah, there's hope for all of us. That's pretty good, isn't it? And it's a picture of grace. It really is. Paul doesn't tell him, stop doing those things so that God can love you again. No. He says, stop doing those things because God does love you. And He wants better for you than those things. Better for you and better for His body, His church in Ephesus. You see, God's goal for us is not just that we believe, although that's good. It's that through our believing, you and I would be transformed. Romans 8.29, For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. That He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Conformed to the likeness of His Son, that as people see us, that more and more they'd see bits and pieces at least of Jesus. That they'd see bits and pieces of God. And that takes transformation. And it's not possible for us, for you and I, to be transformed and remain the way that we were five years ago, a year ago, last week. And so all of us who would claim Jesus as Lord must respond to that twin call. That call to believe and that call to follow, to obey. But are we doing that? Am I doing that? Are we actively choosing to both believe and follow or are we like that corporal in my illustration hanging up the phone on the general? Not today. The great truth about our need to both believe and follow is reflected in the collect prayer that we, we prayed this morning. A prayer asking that God would give us such a faith that it will move us to love and obey His commands. We prayed, Almighty God, give us the increase of faith, hope, and love so that we may obtain what You have promised. Make us love what You command. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with You in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. If we're to be disciples, real disciples, then you and I must again and again add our own personal amen to that prayer by living it out, not just in the big decisions, but in a thousand little decisions that we make every day. How we react, how we interact, how we think, what we say. The compassion we show. If you've not yet made that choice, that choice to both believe and follow, will you make it today? Will you make that choice to both believe and follow?
today.